All right, let's uh, let's thank the uh, all the uh, multimedia people and Matthew Cole for editing that video. <laughs> Always wanted a, a a good kind of a year end video to kind of wrap up and kind of look back on what the Lord did in two thousand twelve in the in the previous year. Somebody have something to taco the uh, glasses. Here? Um, and yeah, Ma- Matthew put together a, a, an amazing video. Really, uh, you know, the, doesn't the video help you to kind of just uh, realize God did so much in 2012? There's so much that happened. Can somebody talk about my glasses? <laughs> hey, hey, Cassie, you do it. You do it. You do it. I don't know if I trust you. He was he was laying on the ground in the video. <laughs> We we actually try to tone down. Uh, well, I I don't know if Matthew did it on purpose, but I, I actually wanted the video a little toned down from too much uh, kind of supernatural charismatic stuff in there. Because you know we, we want to seem like a normal church, you know. <laughs> and uh, yes, we are a normal church because supernatural is normal. Yeah. According to scripture, supernatural is normal. Oh, I can see clearly now. Very good. Man, what an amazing uh, year. It, it's, it's been an incredible year. Uh, we know that in different ways our church has seen an uh, incredible increase. And so I want to uh, take a moment to actually talk about our previous year. But before we do that, uh, today we're going to continue to hold to the 35-minute hand clap. And then I close it up at 40 minutes. All right, you got that. Uh, this past week, I actually got to um, minister. I've been, I've been I've been preaching for the last four days, so I was a little wiped out this morning. I'm sorry I wasn't at Sunday Swim, but man, like uh, on Thursday, uh, Pastor Myungwa and I we went down to Tejun to speak to to work with a ministry called Vision Station Ministry. It's a Korean ministry that reaches out to uh, MKs and PKs. So they have a conference for PKs this week. And then they also do a ministry uh, to youth that are in prison. And so kids that are in prison for drugs and theft and other kinds of petty crimes, uh, they're in this kind of uh, juvenile center. And so Pastor Myungwa uh, went down with me to translate. And so I got to preach to a group of about like 50 uh, young men. And they were like from ages like 13 to 20. And... Man, these kids were so precious. You know, when I looked at them, you know, I've been, I've been to um, a couple prisons before. I haven't been to that many prisons, but I've been to a couple prisons. And man, these kids, man, they're just kids. And the sad story is a lot of them are fatherless and they come from broken homes. And so uh, they were in there for like, just like stealing something from a grocery store. And then, you know, they just got stuck in the system and, and uh, never really got to get back, get caught up in their education. And so it's kind of a vicious cycle. And so not all of them were Christians, but we got to minister to them about the Father's heart. And uh, I just kind of did an altar call uh, for young men that wanted to forgive their uh, father or mother. And a handful of them came forward to the altar, and uh, we prayed for them. And it was powerful. The Spirit of God started to move. 
Uh, there were uh, a group of about like 25 counselors that works for the Vision Station Ministry and the Moksanim there, Huang Moksanim. Uh, they were all helping to pray for the kids, and kids were just crying. You know, I went up to some kids, and I was just like, you know, kido hejo do de, you know, and 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 the kids, you know, they give me that stone cold look, but you know, I'm not phased by that. And I was like, man, you need prayer, you know. And so I just pray for them, and you know, but you know, they they opened up, you know, they were they were listening to 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 my praying. I prayed in English. I tried praying in Korean, didn't get very far, <coughs> you know. But they. You know, they don't understand everything when I was praying, but they, 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 could, they could feel the love. They can sense the presence of God, you know. And so God was doing a good work. Um, Pastor Myonga got to lead one of the young men to Christ at the altar. Uh, so, you know, she doesn't have a language barrier. So, uh, you know, if I could speak Korean like that, man, I would have gotten the whole place saved. But, you know, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. No. Pastor Myung was powerfully anointed. She's powerfully anointed. Later that night, we um, had a lot of fellowship time with Pastor Huang. He's, he's doing a church plant down in Taejeon called Omega Church. Uh, he's going to be starting it in February. And, you know, we have a lot of things in common. And he's got a good head between his shoulders. He's very balanced. Uh, and so we, we had a good time of fellowship with him and his staff. And then I got to minister to uh, the Vision Station staff team. And so there was about, like, a good group of them there. Actually, there were over 25. There were, like, like 40, 30, 35, 40 kid, uh, young people. They're mostly college students. And we ministered to them about sonship. <clears throat> and so it was, it was kind of like a fresh, new perspective. And afterwards, we got to pray for a bunch of them. And, of course, you know, Pastor Myung has got a very precise gift of prophecy, you know. And so she's prophesying over kids, you know. Like, I, I, I'm... I'm battling a cold, you know, so I'm just trying not to cough on them as I'm praying for them. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just like trying to like, you know, but, you know, she's prophesying over them. Of course, after the service is over, there's a long line, you know, of kids waiting to talk to her. And then uh, all the staff, they're just like, oh, <laughs> so I said, oh, this is how, this is how, you know, it feels. You know, because, you know, on, on Sunday services, usually people line up to talk to Pastor Aaron or myself or something like that, you know. But, you know, I felt like I was just like, you know, I was just like her pastoral assistant, you know. You know don't worry, you know, she'll get to you soon. <clears throat> even, <clears throat> even the guy, the staff guy who drove the minivan to the KTX station, he was like, can I get prayer from you too? And so he, he, like, parked the car strategically at the KTX station. So he, he parks it, turns off the engine. He's like, okay, can you pray for me now? And I was like, how about, how about me? I could pray for you too, you know? <laughs> Pastor Miller was like, oh, why don't you pray for him? I was like, no, I don't, I don't need to pray for him. You pray for him. <laughs> anyway, she got some real precise words for him. And he was really ministered to. He was crying. And it was powerful. <clears throat> and then uh, yesterday and Friday... Uh, I took Chris and Shelly Mitchell, uh, Gina from Itaewon, and David our in- and Emily, our intern pastors, along with Pastor Aaron and I. Uh, we went down to Bundang, to Hallelujah Church, and we did a youth uh, ministry retreat for the English ministry youth there. It's called Stand. That's their, uh, that's their ministry name. And so Pastor Aaron and I were invited to speak. Friday and Saturday, and uh, it was an amazing time, man, you know, and so 
I don't do much youth ministry, you know. I don't have much patience for kids, you know. But God just gave me like three full days of youth, you know. Uh, And so uh, we got to minister. And, man, my my heart really went out to these kids. And uh, God was moving powerfully. Uh, Pastor Aaron preached a powerful word on Friday night about there is no condemnation. We preached out of Romans 8. And then uh, I preached uh, a good message there were so many points, I don't know what the message should be called. <laughs> but, you know, I was really trying to preach about uh, their identity as sons. And, uh, man, there are so many testimonies. Um, uh, yeah, it just happened, it ended yesterday. So, you know, there's a lot of things fresh on our, on our minds. And so we're debriefing and sharing. Uh, so I'll share a quick testimony. In my uh, group, after we did a seminar on unforgiveness, uh, I had a group of kids there. And we just split it up into the different genders. And I was with about four young men. And so, I, and three of them didn't speak English all that well. But uh, I talked to the first guy. I'm like, do you need to forgive somebody? He's like, you know, oh, you know, I get upset and stuff. But, you know, I just play sports and, you know, it, gets, it takes care of it. You know, so he's like, I don't think I need to forgive anybody. I'm like, oh, okay. And I go to the second guy. I'm like, do you need to forgive anybody? He's like, no, I don't need to really forgive anyone, you know. I'm like, uh, you know, where, where, where'd you learn English? He's like, well, I lived in Orange County for one year. I'm like, wasn't it hard living in Orange County? And he's like, he's like well, you know, there's, this, there's these Indian guys that used to be at the basketball court. And uh, when I used to play basketball, they used to make fun of me and curse at me and things like that. And so, you know, maybe, maybe I should forgive them. I'm like, well, do you want to forgive them? And so I should lead him to pray to forgive these Indian guys that he met at the playground. <laughs> that, was, that was powerful, man. That was powerful. <clears throat> and then we get to uh, his Korean native cousin who didn't speak a lick of English. I thought he was being rebellious because during my seminar, I kept looking at him. I'm like, fill in the blanks, son. You <laughs> know, I was trying to like, like tell him fill in the blanks, but I realized he just didn't understand me. <laughs> I thought he was like demonized or something. I was like, I was like, I bind you, Satan. <laughs> but no, he, was, he just didn't understand anything. And so we get to him, and like, do you need to forgive anybody? And, you know, 용서 안함게 있어요? Well, you know, something like that. And, then he, and lo and behold, he didn't understand the seminar, but he felt the presence of God. And he goes, yeah, I want to I forgive two of my friends. Because they're really uh, hurting me, irking me, uh, blaming me, blaming others. I don't like the way they do things. All this stuff's just complaining about them. And so I lead him in, uh, in Korean. My first prayer, I led him in Korean. Definitely was the Spirit of God leading me. And he prays to forgive his two friends. And then we get to the last guy. And then I understood why God did the things he did in that small group. Because the last guy, he opens up and he says, I'm angry. I'm like, why are you angry? Uh, I'm angry at my dad. I just have anger in my heart toward my dad. I'm like, well, 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 what happened? Well, my dad was absent throughout my childhood because he's a workaholic. He's always working, coming home late. As a kid, I try to stay up late to try to see him, but he'd always come home so late, I, I go to sleep without seeing him. And I just feel like he's been absent in my life. I'm like, all right, well, where is your dad now? You know, what's going on with him now? And he's like, well, he's gone. So I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, when, when did he pass away? He's like, one year ago. 
from cancer. So this guy's only 15. He's a 15-year-old kid. He's old. He has, a, I think, a younger uh, sibling. And he just starts opening up about how angry he is toward his dad. And so um, we start talking about that. And I try to get him to forgive his dad. But instead of just going right into it, you know, I actually had him uh, remember some of the earliest childhood memories he has with his dad. And so I asked him, what do you see? And he's like, well, I see my dad. He's teaching me how to ride a bicycle. And then he's uh, pushing me and then, and, then, and then letting me go so I can ride the bike. And I'm like, how do you feel? And I feel, I feel good. I feel happy. I'm like, what, what else do you remember from your earliest childhood recollections of your dad? And he's like, well, I used to go to sleep and my dad would sneak up in my bed and then he'll sleep right next to me. You know? And I was like, how'd that make you feel? I said, like, you know, um, that made me feel you know, good. It made me feel loved. It made me feel safe. So, you know, so he had these good memories of his dad. It's just that, you know, the, uh, his dad being such a workaholic, it was so much more in his head that his anger was consuming and smothering all the good memories he had of his dad. And the sad part was he didn't grieve property because I asked him, well, how did you feel at the funeral? And you can always tell, you can tell if somebody has truly grieved the loss of a loved one by asking them what their emotions were like at the funeral. If they answer something like, I don't really remember because I was crying the whole time. Then it's like, all right, that person grieved. All right, they grieved their eyes out. But if they go something, this kid, he says, well, I, I didn't feel any sadness. So, all right, well, that's a little unusual. And he's like, well, that's because I was just worried about our financial future. The only thing I could think of was how is my mom going to uh, get my, my brother and I through, through college and all this stuff. So he was just worried about his finances. And so uh, I led him through a prayer to forgive his dad. And then afterwards, uh, he had all this anger still. So I was like, I was like, he kept saying, like, I wish I could just make things better with my dad. And so I asked him, do you feel like you need to forgive yourself? You know, and he's, he's like, he's like, yeah, I do. Because he, he, because he, his father passed away, he knows he can't make it right anymore. And he just feels like he should have done more when he was alive. So it's all that guilt. So I let him in prayer to forgive himself. And then, uh, and then time was up, so I just kind of encouraged him. Uh, uh, hey, young man, I just want you to, to, to know that grieving is a good thing. Grieving is one of the things that you can do to honor someone. Even if that person is wicked, even if that person wasn't that good to you, they did done evil to you, if they were someone important in your life, it's important that you grieve for them. And I gave him the example of David, that David, when his child uh, died with Bathsheba, having committed adultery with Bathsheba. The child didn't do anything for him. But when that child died, you know, well, well, well he was fasting and kind of in sackcloth because he was hoping that God would save him. Actually, that's a bad example. <laughs> but when Epsilon, his, uh, his uh, other son died, who, who rebelled against him, when Epsilon died, when he heard that news, David grieved for him. And then I gave him the better example, King Saul, his enemy. The guy who was trying to seek to kill him out of jealousy, when he heard that King Saul died, he commanded the whole nation really to, to grieve and to mourn for Saul. And, uh, you know, and if you look in the scriptures, even Jesus, the Bible says he wept. And the, and the profound thing about that passage is Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus doesn't have to weep. He's, he knows what he's about to do. You know, but it shows that 
our God is not an aloof or apathetic God. You know, he's engaged. He's got emotions. The emotions we have are a reflection of being created in his image. God is an emotional God. He's not this Aristotelian God that's really detached up and impassable and, and is not moved. In one sense, he is not changed. But in another sense, you know, he, he meets us where our emotions are at. And he, he, he was made incarnate so that he can feel all the emotions we would have ever felt in our life. Anyway, Jesus wept for Lazarus. And so I encourage this young kid to make sure to mourn and to grieve for your dad. You know, I just feel like now that you've forgiven him, all those blocks are removed. You may start to feel emotions that you never felt toward the loss of your dad. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Just let your heart properly grieve. And, and he understood. And, and anyway, so, I mean, that's uh, something that happened yesterday. Um, and there was a lot of amazing testimonies from this youth retreat. And so we were really thankful to Pastor Lisa and Dr. my professor from Torch, Professor uh, Stephen Chang. Uh, they're the ones who head up that youth ministry, and they invited us. And we had a fantastic time with, with their teachers and, and their youth. Uh, very good. Uh, oh, and last Sunday, I announced something very important about our next church plant plans. So if you didn't get that message, be sure to catch that message. Because New Philly will be going to Sydney and Melbourne. 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 God is blessing us to expand our area of influence. And so we are incredibly excited for what God is doing through our community. We're also going to be expanding Emmaus to Korea University in the new year. And we're going to be uh, also working to launch our own English youth ministry uh, for teenagers uh, that do not come to our church right now. <laughs> You know, most churches will create a youth ministry for their kids. Uh, we just, we, we're not old enough to, we don't have kids that are in their teens yet. But it's okay. As one famous movie said, if you build it, they will come. Uh, but no, the um, pastors of the other youth ministries at Jiguchon and at Hallelujah and at Salang, uh, they really encouraged uh, me to start a youth ministry. They were like, you know, I think you guys have the ingredients to have a powerful youth ministry. There's plenty of kids to reach that are not being reached. You guys should start your youth ministry. And so I really took that to heart as a prophetic word of the Lord. And so we're going to be working on that in the new year. And uh, we're not a huge mega church. But I, I talked about last week that we are a powerful remnant. Amen. Amen. We are like the gochujang of churches. We are like the wasabi you don't need a lot of new Philly people. Just need a little bit. Just need a little bit. And it's hot. It will open up your nostrils. So I really, I really like that remnant philosophy. You know, I think, I think uh, some churches, you know, they get really big and then they have a lot of influence. But I just feel like even uh, as our church is a small remnant that's growing... Uh, that God is calling us to really steward great influence in the cities. And so praise the Lord for what he's doing in this house. Let me uh, walk you through a quick presentation of 2012. You saw the video. You remember some of the things that God did this year. Uh, let's just talk about 2012. All right, Westfall, are you doing the slides? 
All right, you got to look at me. All right, let's go. Year of increase, 2012. The theme of the year was the year of increase. All right. So I just did it like a, like a bar graph. So in 2008, we ended the year with an average attendance of about 99 people that were coming out. And uh, the interesting thing was, if you look at the attendance figures, we actually shrank. The more I preached, the less people came. But you see that? God was testing me. Because he prophesied over me that, you know, you're going you're gonna to steward uh, much fruit and there's going to be many, many sons and daughters, all this stuff. So, so God was testing me. You know, he shrank it on purpose to see if I should still believe in him. And I still believe that word. Anyway, 2009, we grew by, by a little bit. Uh, Why don't you press the arrow key? Uh, so we grew about 11% by the end of 2009. And then 2010, we did a church plant. And God really honored our step of faith. We were a young congregation, but we sent out uh, 10 of our leaders to go to e one and plant this church. And immediately by the end of 2010, our church had grown by 66%, our biggest growth we've ever seen. And then in 2011, we grew by a little bit more, uh, 24%. And so you can see the breakdown between Hillside and e one And then in 2012... Uh, we grew by another 34%. So our average attendance uh, these days is a little bit over 300 uh, between the three campuses. So it seems like every time we do a church plan, we grow. So, that, so we just need to do a church plan every two months. <laughs> and our church will just start growing like crazy. And that's why we need to be led by the Spirit. Don't be led by methods because, you know, methods change. But the holy, you know. Anyway, all right. Let's let's. Uh, <laughs> All right, the breakdown. So our average attendance, out of the average attendance, 77% of the people who come out are part members of our covenant community. And about 23%, we have a healthy stream of visitors and guests and newcomers that are constantly coming through. And so that's the breakdown of our attendance. Let's go. Our New Philly family, this, looks, this is a breakdown of our membership. Uh, we had 71 in 2009, 132 in 2010, and 32 in 2011, 100, I mean, sorry, 177. <laughs> and, uh, and in 2012, we had a little more. All right. Uh, let's go. Okay, and so one thing that's incredible is in 2012, there was a huge, like, outburst of 10-year commitments. So we had over 60 people make 10-year commitments in this new year. And so put all together over the last two years, there have been 103 people in our community that have made 10-year commitments. Now, this is a pretty radical thing because our community and all the English ministries in the city, they're very transient by nature, meaning that people go in and out all the time. Because people, you know, they hold down a hagwon job for a year or two, military position for a year or two, and then they move on. You know? So for when young people in their 20s and early 30s, they make these types of 10-year commitments, just like Alan Hood of IHOP said, that's a powerful thing. That is something that gets the attention of God. You know, and, and I believe that uh, this is definitely a supernatural move of God for us to see this many uh, people uh, making this kind of commitment uh, to a pastor that's very offensive. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, you, guys, you guys are making it before God. So praise the Lord. And then next, uh, we had uh, in the last two and a half months since we opened up the Sonship from Afar in a formal way, 
Uh, we have 54 sons from afar that have applied from about five different countries. And so uh, that's growing each day. All right. Emmaus. Emmaus has gone, really uh, seen a lot of increase in the 2012. Uh, this is their attendance. Their attendance is like um, interesting. Well, one is because they didn't take good attendance in the early years. So uh, some of the, all right. I don't know, man. I couldn't find the numbers. So you, you got to help me find it. All right. All right. Just keep track of the time. All right. Don't get up. It's not, it's not, it's not time to find me. All right. All right. So anyway, uh, so they, we, they were averaging about 30 for a good long while from like 2008, 2008 until 2010. You know, it was about an average attendance of about 30. And then in this year, it just kind of exploded and started shooting up. So it grew about 20% uh, from fall of 2011 to spring. And then from spring to fall, it grew by another 20%. Uh, so Emmaus has been really growing. Uh, I think their, uh, their last meeting of the year, they had, over eight, they had about 89 students. Yeah. So that, they had almost 100 people at Emmaus. So they've been really growing. And Pastor Aaron and the Emmaus team... They're doing a fantastic job of reaching these students. And the, and the really difficult part is these are like 89 new students they're reaching almost every single semester. The majority, like, like two-thirds to three-fourths of those students, they're all brand new. And many of them don't have a Christian background when they come into the, come into the ministry. And so they're really uh, getting them saved and discipled. So they're doing an incredible job. Raising up an army. So, you know, our church's vision is to raise up an army of mighty warriors so this is our leadership retreat back in September. All right, leadership growth. 2008, we had about like 30-something leaders. And then by, by the end of the year, a lot of them moved away. So we ended the year in 2008 with about 25 leaders. And then we doubled that to, to 51 in 2009. Uh, then we grew to 92 in the following year. And then 137 in 2011. And then right now we have a little less than 200 leaders. We ended the year with a little less than 200 people on leadership. So I think that's fantastic that we have such a, uh, we, don't, we do not have a consumer mentality at our church. You know, it's not about shopping around for the best speaker or the, or the, uh, or the best praise or how the praise sounds. But right here, it's all about being led by the spirit and people who are really committed to a vision. All right. And uh, the breakdown. All right. We have a little issue here. All right. 68% of our leadership are women. 32% men. All right. Look, these women need to get married, and we just don't have enough men. All right. And, you know, we're not going to be like Mormons and start embracing polygamy here, right? All right. Look. We need the men. We need to raise up the men. So if you're a man in here and you're visiting New Philly and you're looking for a church, all right, stay here. There's a lot of women that you can choose from. Stick around. Actually, the real reason why we're doing the Australia church plan is because every time I've gone down to Australia, I notice there's a lot of men down there. And so my plan is to send down women and then bring back men. Let's do a little exchange. Is 
then everybody will be married and happy, okay? All right. Just trust me. Trust me. It'll work. It'll work. Uh, and our, finally, our financial giving, uh, 2008. So when uh, I took over the English ministry in April of 2008, our church was heavily dependent upon the uh, mother church, Jeersongdo, for the finances. So all the salaries and all the costs of doing ministry uh, were really mainly being funded by the mother church. April 2008, when I took over, I made the mistake of thinking that the elders of the church wanted us to get financially independent and not to be dependent upon uh, the Korean church anymore. So I just went financially independent. And I just started, I opened up a separate bank account. We started doing tithes and offerings into it. And I found out later that they didn't, they didn't really want that. But then by the time it hit two months, we had already doubled in giving. Like our giving was like, like really, really high. And so I think the uh, elders and leaders of the church, they just kind of left us alone. And so we ended the year in 2008 with about 170 mil in giving from, with tithes and offerings. The following year, uh, we, we grew to 227 mil and then uh, a little over 320, <laughs> 322 mil and then 154 mil. No, no, 454 mil. All right, look at the graph. All right, and so... Man, we, we well, hit up there our 34% growth, and then 42% growth, and 41% growth, and 36% growth. So uh, even though our membership hasn't been growing at that same pace, our financial giving has still been growing at a pretty healthy uh, level. And so uh, thank you all for your commitment uh, to give and to financially uh, support uh, the house and what God is doing here in this house. All right. The theme for 2013. Are you going to use this on next year's video, huh? All right, make sure you get this good. I get a good angle. This is not my good angle. This is not my good angle. This is my good angle right here. In case you're wondering, Joel. I'll just be real. I'll just be real. All right, so uh, when Pastor Benjamin was here in the fall, around October, November, I was really praying into the theme for 2013, and the Lord laid upon my heart a particular theme that I wasn't really sure about, but in November and December, God powerfully confirmed it, especially at the staff retreat, uh, when I kind of gave some time for Pastor Aaron and Pastor Marcus to, to I just kind of gave them free time, I told them to do some team building activities or do something creative, do something fun. And so they came up with these activities. And when I saw them doing that and I saw how our staff were responding, I realized, man, this is really the word of the Lord for the new year. Okay. So the theme for 2013 will be. The year of inspiration. The year of inspiration. The year of inspiration. 2013 will be a year of inspiration. <laughs> All right, let's turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. Matthew, give me, uh, give me some moment. 
All right, look at 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to read that for you in the ESV. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All right. Uh, This is a very familiar verse. If you look at the New King James Version, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now, uh, what the ESV translates as God breathed, the New King James interprets it a little bit and translates it into inspiration. So the Greek word here is theopineustos. All right? So it comes from two words. Theo meaning God and pneo, which means to breathe. I breathe. Right? And so you put those words together and it literally, the ESV captures the literal sense of the word. It's God breathed. This thing that you have in your hands, it was God breathed. Now, the cool thing about the word breath is uh, in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek, breath is also a word that's synonymously used for the spirit of God. So whenever you talk about the breath of God, you're actually talking about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And so when you say that all scripture is God breathed, that means all scripture is given by the spirit of God. It's inspired by the spirit of God. It comes forth. In another passage in the New Testament, it actually says that men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who inspires the words of this book. Now you might say, well, you know, if if man wrote it, wouldn't there be a bunch of mistakes? You know, in Islam, they teach that Muhammad got the, uh, their Quran dictated. So there is like an angel came and dictated like this is the words you are to write down. But for scripture, that's not how, how this thing has been compiled. It's compiled in a lot of different ways. You know, some of it, there are different genres in here. There's historical narrative. There's poetry. <clears throat> there's prophecy. Um, scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God in such a way that the words that have been written down and recorded in the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts are the very words intended by God and has in it the meaning that God wants. And there's a consistent message throughout all of scripture that God intended that is not lost, but is there in a clear and meaningful way. How do we know this? Well, we know this even just through the Emmaus Road example. On the Emmaus Road, after the resurrection of Jesus, two disciples are walking along the road talking about how some people claim that they saw Jesus resurrected. And these two disciples, they meet a stranger. But the stranger had a hoodie on. <laughs> and it, but the stranger was actually Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus took the time to open up all of the scripture. So back then it's talking about the Old Testament. And told them. Beginning from the law. To the prophets. Everything that was written in it. Concerning himself. That means that that was like. An, one amazing Bible study. In which Jesus showed. That from Genesis. To Malachi. Well, the Hebrew Bible is ordered a little differently. But that's okay. I can just say that. Genesis to Malachi. <laughs> That all scripture was talking about Jesus. So when you see people 
saying this is about Jesus, it probably is. And when Jesus did that Emmaus Road Bible study, I'm telling you, you know, them two disciples were like, uh, I don't know if that's about the Messiah. So no, it's about the Messiah. I don't know. Hey, it's about the Messiah, okay? <laughs> like, you know? And even the entire New Testament is talking about the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of inspiration. If you want to live a life filled by inspiration, you got to be filled by the Spirit of God. Now, inspiration, the dictionary definition, this is, I think, the Cambridge Dictionary, says it is the process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. That's what inspiration is all about. In the year of 2013, God is taking this house to new levels of creativity. New ways of thinking of old things. In the creation account, the Bible says the spirit of God was hovering over all the water. And then as God spoke, the world was created. And when you look at the world that God has created... You ever watch Planet Earth, the Blu-ray set? Man, God, there are animals. They look crazy. There are some animals that I've never seen in my life. And I'm sure there's more that that look even crazier. But uh, man, God was so creative and diverse when he created animals. God didn't create like 50 animals. I'm like, oh, I'm all out of ideas. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to place the nose. I don't know where, what to do with the ears. No, God's like, no, you can put the ear here. You can put one ear. You can put three ears. I don't, like, I, don't, I don't know if there's animals with three ears. But man, there's animals with horns. There's animals that seem like they don't do nothing but lay around all day. You know, there's just all kinds of animals. Animals, plants, fish, birds. Think about how diverse and creative they are. This is because the creator is creative. And the awesome thing is, the creator of the universe lives inside of you by his spirit. I want you to turn to Exodus 35. Exodus 35. Exodus 35, verse 30. And I'm going to end with verse 1 of chapter 36. So the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They are in the desert and God starts to command Moses to build the tabernacle of God. But God doesn't say, hey, Moses, just, uh, you know, do do whatever you want. Just make make something that looks cute. I'll come and dwell there. God says, no, you need to do it exactly to the specification that I want. I want God's very, he's a very, very. Neat interior designer. You know, you watch all them home improvement shows. You think those guys are really creative? No, God was like, no, I need the tassels to look like this. And I need the materials to be like that. He knew the desert climate of that area. So he, he, he was very specific of what he wanted. And so Exodus 35 talks about how God actually filled someone with his spirit to accomplish the building of the construction of the tabernacle. Look at verse 30. 
Exodus 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. He has inspired him to teach both him and Oliab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer, Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. When God calls us to do something, when he commands something, God also provides the skill, the craftsmanship. The, I mean, you could really sum it up. The anointing. You know, this is what it's talking about is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What came upon Bezalel was not like the Holy Spirit came upon him and then all of a sudden there's like an instruction manual that appeared before him. No, that instruction manual was written on his heart. Bezalel did not know I mean, how many of y'all know how to um, cut stones? I don't know where to start. What do you use? I could try to cut the stones, but I end up cutting my finger or something. Carving wood? I'm sorry, like 99% of y'all probably don't know how to carve wood. Okay, I don't know. But anyway, who knows how to carve wood? These guys, they didn't know how to do all this. And it's not carving wood for like a little, little whistle. You're carving wood for this big old, big old tabernacle. And this huge ark that was supposed to be inlaid with gold and silver and bronze, all these things. Right? And so Bezalel got filled by the Spirit of God. And God gave him, look at this, skill, intelligence. That Hebrew word can also be translated understanding, knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. Not to devise plain inexpensive designs, but artistic designs to work in gold and silver. So God gave him these skills and intelligence, understanding, all by the Spirit of God. We call that today the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If God calls you to something, God will also provide the anointing for you to do it and do it well. God doesn't call you to do something like, hey, Matthew, I have called you to play baseball. Actually, no, that's a bad example. I've called you to the fine arts. I want you to sculpt sculptures. And then Matthew starts to sculpt sculptures, and it just looks like a big old lump of clay. You know, and he tries to create a person, and it just looks all ugly and nasty. You know? God will not call Matthew to do something like that, but not provide the anointing for him to do it well. You know, one incredible thing is, one anointing that I know I possess in my life, and I know it's supernatural, all right, is an anointing for technical things, computers. When I was a kid, I used to just take things apart. But I would be able to put it back together 
or fix things that were broken. I didn't know how it worked. I just, I just, my hands were just somehow, I, I wouldn't know how to do it. And then when my dad had a 386 computer in his basement, I used to go down there and I'd just go on the DOS prompt and I'd just type up whatever I want. And then later on, I figured out how to use the computer. And then when his computer broke, I was the only one who knew how to fix it. My uncle found out that I, I knew how to fix computers. And then he kept calling me up on Saturdays to come over to his office to fix all of his darn computers. <laughs> but the thing is, I never sat down and read a computer manual. Or if I did read a computer manual, I would be able to breeze right through it and get the important concepts. As opposed to somebody that I will not mention or other people that I will not mention. They are clueless when it comes to computers. I'm like, what's wrong with you? This is so simple. You know? <laughs> anyway, man, I got a super, I have a super, I, you know, after I graduated from college, I just realized I have a super, okay. All right. <clears throat> that means I got to wrap it up. I have a supernatural anointing <laughs> for computers. And uh, so it, it helped me to make a lot of money in college because I, I was a webmaster. But most of the time, I was just troubleshooting all the department's computers. Because they were like, you know how to fix computers? I was like, yeah. I was like, can you come fix my computer? My printer's not working. So I go there. I look at it. I fix a few settings. Oh, the printer's working now. That is amazing. <laughs> my printer has not been working for nine months. And somebody else will call me in. I'll be like, oh, you're, um, you didn't plug in your computer yet. <laughs> well, there were instances like that. But there are other instances like people just can't figure it out. And I don't even know how to figure it out. Like when I first was actually um, video chatting with Aaron as friends, I remember like there was something like on her computer that wasn't working. And I was like, I, was, I wasn't even video chatting. I was just, um, we're IMing each other. On AOL, right? We're IMing each other. And then she was like, my, my, I don't know what it was. My TV doesn't work or something doesn't work. And I was like, you know what? All I did was I typed out the word BAM in capital letters. I said, BAM, I hit enter. Now check out if your TV's working or not. And she checks it. She's like, wow, it's working. How'd you do that? And I was like, I don't know. I just typed out the word BAM. You know, but like, that's funny, but actually my, throughout my life, stuff like that's happened. There's like a supernatural anointing that comes. <laughs> now, I never had an ambition to build a church or to plant churches. It's not like throughout my whole life, I'm like, I want to plant churches. You know, I just had a missionary heart and I just wanted to be a missionary. I, but when I started leading New Philly, I just realized, man, people are asking me, what should we do? We're stuck. What should we do? And I'd be like, you're supposed to do this, this, and that. I think that will work. They'd be like, how'd you know that? I don't know. It's just there. You know what I mean? But you guys all have that kind of anointing for your individual callings. Some of you have been talked down upon so much that you, are, you have such a low view of your abilities that you think you can only do this much. But the spirit of God, the anointing of God can take you to levels that will blow your mind. That's just the nature of God's anointing. He wants to take you to levels that will blow your mind. No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind conceived of the wonderful things God's prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Man, I got to wrap up my message. So I'll, maybe I'll just finish this at Itaewon, all right? 
I got like another 35 minutes here. <laughs> yeah, my beginning went, went a little long, so um, I'll just end with this. Uh, I believe that in 2013, God is taking New Philly and he's calling us. And I think what God has done here is very good. What God has done here is good. And when God created the earth, he said, it is good. When God created man, he said, it is very good. Here's something about God. God's not just interested in creating and birthing things that are good. He's also interested in developing and maturing things to be great. And I believe what God has birthed here for New Philly and what he's developed here and what he's built up here is good. But in 2013, the challenge is going to be about going to great. How do we become from a good to a great church? But the only way you can, you can have that level of influence, especially in a major city, is you've got to innovate. You've got to be creative. You have to think outside the box. You've got to have inspiration. You've got to have access to something not everybody has access to. You've got to think unconventionally. You've got to go where no man has dared to travel before. I butchered Star Trek quote, didn't I just <laughs> I forget how the quote goes. And so in 2013, New Philly, let's be a church that's a little unconventional. Let's start thinking with new lenses. And over at E101, I will talk about what are the things that kills kills inspiration. I'll talk about three things that kill inspiration, and then I'll close it with uh, some application points. Now, one thing I do want to talk about was a key message that God dropped at the end of the year for us was Vicki Porterfield's message on rest. Because when Dave Gibbons came, like a few weeks before that, Dave Gibbons is like creativity explosion. Like he's got so much creativity, I feel unsafe. And I'm just like, where are you going? Pastor Dave, where are you going? He's like, no, I'm inspired to do this and inspired to do that. Like he's got so much inspiration, you know? So... When he came in and he really influenced us to really think outside the box. And then Vicky came. Because we thought we got to work, work, work to get there. And Vicky said, no. You got to learn the weapon of warfare called rest. Rest is so important. For, for a person who is artistic or creative, they do their best art, uh, artistry. They produce some of their best creativity when their soul is at rest. Not when it's anxious. I got to meet a deadline. I got to meet a deadline. And that stifles creativity. Sometimes that will pull out creativity if a person is still able to remain in rest despite the deadline. But if that deadline starts to get in there and cause anxiety and fear, it will stifle creativity. And so I believe that, that message from Vicky was really key. We need to be a church that learns how to find our soul's rest in God no matter what the deadline is. But we're going to all have to work with urgency and deadlines. Urgency and deadlines does not determine whether your soul is at rest or not. What determines whether your soul is at rest or not is who are you keeping your eyes upon? Jesus is your shepherd. He sets up a banqueting table in the presence of your enemies. You can have your most creative seasons when you're getting attacked the most. You can have your most creative outbursts. When you're just bombarded with all this, your boss yelling at you. As long as you know that Jesus is your shepherd, 
And he's giving your soul rest. So, yeah, um, I'm going to close here, like I promised. I'm going to close. One more thing. (laughs) I think one cool thing that our church has is we have a prayer tabernacle, a house of prayer. It's called Kingdom First. Uh, And I believe that this is a great place where inspiration is going to be received, where a heart of rest is going to be nurtured. Is in that place where you come before God and you have no agenda other than to just seek his face. Other than to just bless his heart. And when you come and all you want to do is love on him, then he drops a blueprint for an amazing purpose and plan he's got for you. And you just, you're just like, wow, thanks God. And then you, you don't feel any kind of pressure or striving to try to accomplish it. Because you know that you receive it both by rest and then you also complete it by resting in him, by trusting in him. All right. Closing prayer. Right now, the praise team is going to come up with the closing praise. All right, let's all stand to our feet. Our God is a God of inspiration. He doesn't want us to live our lives on autopilot. He wants us to continually, continually be renewed. To continually seek his face. Because he's always got something new up his sleeve. He's always got a new way to surprise us, to bless us, challenge us, inspire us. So as we begin 2013, let's look to the God who is the God of inspiration. Let's look to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Yeah.